What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Knicks fans, how you doing? It's your boy Jonathan Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. And I am coming at you with uh, someone who I am now quite proud to call a regular guest of the show because I believe this is the third time you've been on. Um, and of course, I'm talking about Dallas Amico opposing a toasting. Is it? Is it three times? I think it's four or five, actually. Is it really that many? I think it's four. I think it's four. It might be four. I don't think it's five. I feel like I wouldn't have been off by that many, but I could see four. Um, well, we had, had one on the offense last year and then a summer pod on stuff so, and then the pick and roll one. That's uh, it. Yes, the, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And and, and, and I should say, um, since then, uh, you, you, I mean, you, you've kind of blown up. I mean, uh, Dan Devine in The Ringer. Uh, gave you a, a nice a nice shout out, which I saw, and I was I have to say I felt a little like a, you know, even though I'm not with posting and toasting, I felt a little like a proud papa. I hope that was okay <laughs> with you that I felt that way. Yeah, no, that's fine. I actually didn't know who that was until that until he retweeted that. Um, <laughs> You're kidding me. I do I do a very poor job, I think, of following things more like you know the big writers and whatnot. So. Um, but somebody at, uh, tagged him and said, hey, did you read this? I guess some of the things in uh, uh, he had written a piece about like the simplicity of the defense yes. uh, recently, which is what mine was about. And so, yeah, he was like, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. And shared it. No, it's a, it's a, I mean, the, I, the only reason I knew of him before he went to the ringer was because he went to uh, Monsignor Farrell High School, which is in Staten Island, which is where I, of course, am from. So Staten Island is like a very, very small town with like, 300,000 people but it's like you kind of you know you know who the other the other islanders are um it's like survivor except (laughs) bigger um anyway so so i i'm having you on today um to talk about well as we were just discussing to, to talk about three pieces that you just wrote this week um but to not really talk about them if that makes any sense because Basically, what you did, and I'll, I'll try to recap, and I'll, I'll ask you to to chime in if I kind of miss anything. Is you basically went through the most common sets the Knicks have run um, under Mike Miller, and all of the variations that they run out of those basic sets. Um, it would would that be a fair description, or anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, the only thing I'd say is I don't know. If- uh, like certainly that are the most common um, to my eye. I'm pretty sure there's a couple others they use too. And I don't have exact play type data to say like, Oh yeah, for sure. These are the three, but yeah, I, the ones I think are the most common. Okay. So um, I, I, I'm tempted to try to describe, well, you say it a few times, but I, and I want you to like kind of amplify what I'm about to say. Actually, you know what, before we even get to talking about the actual plays, it, you watch this team for like the rest of us for 22 games under David Fisdale. How let's start there. How radically different is what is going on now from what was going on under him? And you can feel free to take that question any direction you want. Well, I, I think you'll find it. Yeah. If you went back and listened to the tone of our last podcast, it was, uh, <laughs> I remember it well. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, just, so I think it's night and day. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not the case that, 
you look at the offense. I mean, there are there are definitely new additions and new variations um, and new things we're seeing um, that Miller's drawn up, and some of them are quite cool. But it's not the case that it's like you know every everything is completely different. Um, but the Knicks do a significantly better job of getting into sets more frequently, um, which when you don't have top of the line isolation players um, or even players who are capable of efficiently, uh, you know, um, throughout a game running like high pick and roll over and over um, and, and putting up efficient uh, or, or uh, efficient shots, creating efficient shots. Um, uh, you really need to get into offensive sets because, you know, by using those offensive sets, you can create advantage, advantage situations that, you know, any competent NBA player could create by executing the set properly. Whereas if you just have an isolation set, you know, you have to have a special player to be able to create an advantage situation out of that. So getting into sets more frequently has been huge. And then the second thing that's been big is, I mean, I think there's just been um, an uptick in uh, fundamentals. Um, like give, give a couple of examples. Like, what do you mean? Well, I, last time we complained, or I, man, I, I don't know, <laughs> about a lot of the um, uh, just like very basic stuff in um, the pick and rolls that the Knicks were running. Uh, oh, you mean things like a screen, about, like setting yeah, an actual yeah, screen, making, yeah, making contact, getting a wide base, that sort of thing. We've seen improvements there. We've seen where they're getting set is better, um, how they're getting set is better. I think people are running more. Um, with more purpose off ball now for their off ball actions, because I mean, there's a couple of reasons for one, they're um, using them more frequently. So they're becoming a little bit more ingrained, I think in the guys, like they, they're starting to really understand them a little bit better. Um, but then uh, it's pretty clear too, to me that there's been an emphasis on, you know, running, running hard off them. Um, and, and, and as well, guys are getting rewarded for doing that. Um, We've seen a couple of, I mean, it just like <laughs> sort of shocking. It's been so long since we've seen things like this, like um, offensive sets that have created like easy backdoor layups. Um, I think we've seen like three or four of those. Out yeah, of, I know. Uh, I, I've noticed in- them too. It's 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 like, what are we? This isn't the Knicks. That's that's not no. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean it's the sort of gimmicks you know uh, that are they tend not to produce points uh, in the offense. Or excuse me, in the playoffs, um, if you get there, uh, it tends to be a lot harder to to get those sorts of you know backdoors off cross screens and um, chin sets and stuff like that. But it's uh, it's a, a method that we've seen teams use for a long time to get um, easy points in the regular season. Well, they use them against uh, the Knicks all the time for seemingly the last 20 years because if a team isn't locked in on defense, you could get shit like that and get some easy baskets. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you you had part three come out today, and I just want um, go to the, go to the end first for this reason. You just mentioned high pick and roll, and you actually you ended the series looking at the fact that um, they have run um, a little bit traditional um, spread, basically spread out, five out, pick and roll. Um, and five out, done, done, five out. Five, five, five. five. not, not four. Nobody inside the three-point line, nobody. Um, but I, I just, the reason I want to go go there quickly is you you obviously need, and, and and not even, forget about five out, just to run high pick and roll you need an elite and correct me if I'm wrong. You need an ideally an elite ball handler who can also be a threat from the three point line. And, and that's one thing that the Knicks um, don't have. And although Reggie Bullock kind of gives you maybe a little bit of ball handling, but for the most part, is that, is that fair to say? Um, so I think if you're going to run it every time down, yeah, you're going to want somebody who's, <laughs> you know, a better than, um, uh, our current slew of point guards. Um, Love you, Frank, but, but you know it's it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. At this point, but mixing. So I mean, mixing and in, especially when you have so you know some of these five outs. They've had Portis, you know, Dotson, Morris, and Bullock, and then like Frank or something like that. Like I think we've seen we've seen lineups like that. Um, and when you have those uh, guys spreading the floor. Um, it, act, it makes pick and roll significantly easier because 
I mean, there's there's no help cover uh, help that can come in the paint because um, everybody's all the defenders are pulled out to the to the three point line, right? I mean, you can't leave Reggie Bullock. You're not going to leave Marcus Morris. You're not going to want to leave Bobby Portis. Um, so it makes it way easier for a guy like you know Frank or Alfred, who would generally have trouble beating um, uh, help defense, especially Frank. That's one of his biggest problems is picking up the ball. On, on pick and rolls when a when a defender digs, you know they like yes. reach in. Yeah, we see that all the time. Although he's been, I feel like he's been getting a little bit better uh, of that uh, very very much lately, like the very recent past. But yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and so he doesn't. He often doesn't get far enough into the paint to really um, uh, bend the defense as a result. But when you play a spread pick and roll like that, um, it does give him a little bit more room. There's there's not going to be a guy who comes and digs. You know, uh, uh, it makes it a little easy for easier for him to handle the ball. Yeah. And then if somebody does come help, um, you're going to find it. He's going to find an open three point shooter. He's a, a very good passer. Um, yes. Um, which we we've, obviously we've, we've been seeing for years. Um, we're burying the lead here, of course, which is that, you know, you just named a lot of players who could play in in um, five out pick and roll. Um, and none of those players are named RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robin or Mitchell Robinson. Um, even though the example of the clip you put online has Julius Randall, I'm not sure you would characterize Julius Randall as someone who would spread the floor either. So I've just named the Knicks three of the four, like whatever you want to say, best, most important, most, you know, the guys who should be getting the most attention, whatever you want to phrase it. And, um, um, many of them are, are not shooters, which is why they have to resort to, a lot of this other stuff before I, I asked you a couple questions about that stuff, though, I'm going to ask you a completely unfair question, one that you should not be able to answer, but I want to ask it anyway. Why, why wasn't David Fisdale running more of this stuff or emphasizing the stuff that's clearly being emphasized now? Like, can you possibly even posit the theory as to why that is the case or why that was the case? <laughs> Um, I mean, no, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't, I listen, I, 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 I say it only to emphasize the absurdity of the fact that what they, you know, what was happening for, for 22 games. And, um, yeah. Well, let's try, let's try, uh, a charitable, let's try to be charitable. Yes. Let's um, be charitable. So maybe, so we, we know David Fizzle had said things in the past, like, you know, I left Tim Hardaway Jr. on their best player at the end of the game because I wanted to challenge him because I think, you know, playing in those situations is how you improve. Yeah. So maybe if we're being charitable, he really believed, you know, like Randall uh, could end up being as like, like you know, like a primary initiator or something in the NBA. And so he thought, you know what we're going to do is we're just going to give him the ball and let him go to work. Um, and... I don't know why you're trying to develop Marcus Morris, but let's get him the ball and let him go to work. Um, so, I mean, maybe there's like some sort of charitable thing like that, that he thinks like, hey, we can put these guys in a position they've never been in before and they're going to take some lumps, but they'll develop. But I mean, it, it, it was, yeah, no, I don't know. There's, no, that, that's me to be charitable, but I, it's not, a, it was not, it's not a good look now that you see uh, them working the way they ought to work. I, I think that's, I think that's well said. So, uh, as you you made the point a few times, I guess can you um let's start here. Why I I don't want to I don't want to lump all of the different things that you write about in one basket because you write about some very distinct sets. You write about uh the pistol set, you write about the chin set, you write about the weave set and rather than like go into the details of like where the different players on the court are going during each of these sets. Um, I, how would you, I, cause the way I, what my big takeaway from the pieces is that basically they're all of these things, what they have in common is it's basically a lot of creative use of screens and it can, it, how would you describe all of them in terms of like the things that they have in common? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ball sc- I mean, it's a ball screen heavy offense. Um, there are, so like the pistol set is designed um, exclusively to create a ball screen. Um, uh, but there's like, you know, four or five different options for where that ball screen can come. Uh, actually, there's more than that. 
Um, and then there's um, multiple off-ball options in built into most of these sets as well. So while there are ball screens um, uh, actions going on, there's also stuff happening off-ball um, uh, that draws defenders away, makes it difficult for them to help, um, or keeps their focus occupied while the primary action is going on. Um, so we're seeing, since Miller has taken over, um, despite, like you pointed out, the the starting five still having you know very little floor spacing, um, we're seeing significantly fewer just like totally clogged paints um, and significantly fewer possessions where like you know Julius Randle or Morris end up in the paint with like four guys around them that sort of thing because I mean really he's done a wonderful job of um, creating spacing uh, and movement and occupying defenders um, uh, 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 while playing you know like one of the worst spacing lineups in the entire NBA Uh, you you mentioned lineups and I I do want to so here's the thing that I feel like is interesting to me because I, it's not like other than the reintroduction of Reggie Bullock, who's very much a shooter. But again, that's only been the last four games. Um, and Alfred Payton, who is very much not a shooter. Um, I, I don't feel like I don't feel like the lineups that we're seeing are. Not that they're not all that different, but it, it feels like any adjustments that have been made to the personnel that have been seeing the floor, it, it doesn't feel like they've been drastic. Do you agree with that, or am, uh, am I off base here? Yeah, no, that's right. I think the lineups have been pretty much the same. Um, yeah. Yeah, so like, given that that's the case, this really does come down to you know, just utilizing the guys that are out there um, in more advantageous ways. Um, wh- these types of sets, are they, would you say, designed to, like, what is the ideal, or maybe I should ask it a better way, is there one ideal outcome for these kinds of sets? Is it to get guys going? Because that was what we always heard from David Fisdale, right? We want to get guys going downhill. We want to get guys closer to the basket. We want to get looks at the rim, the whole, you know, we've heard it all. Um, is there like one optimal outcome from these sets? Are they designed to get open threes or, you know, at least maybe not open threes, but like threes that you have some room, like what, what, how would you characterize that? Um, it depends on the set. Uh, but all of them have, um, multiple options built in. Um, so it's not like there's just one thing you're trying to get, uh, or achieve, uh, which I think is huge. So like under Fizdale, we saw a lot of, both um, isolation sets from the elbows and the top of the key with like Randall and Morris, but then also post-ups um, and during a lot of those sets or, or, and then we saw, we saw some pick and rolls too, but during almost all of those um, there was very little off ball movement. Um, and the spacing was often uh, let's say questionable <laughs> um, where now uh, uh, because you know, these the sets that they're running all, literally almost almost every time down they're running a set. Um, there's I mean there's a few a few exceptions um, sometimes especially if you uh, you know push and transition but don't get something they won't get into a set. Um, but uh, they're running sets way more frequently now. Well, guys have places that they are supposed to be when they run the set, um, and so you know uh, those places are optimized um, uh, in terms of spacing. Um, uh, so the spacing is way better. And then, yeah, the other the other thing, like I was saying, is there's off-ball actions going on at the same time, um, which distract defenders. And and that's just, I mean, that's just been massive. Um, yeah, no, and, and I feel like one of the main complaints, I mean, there were a lot of complaints about David Fisdale over the course of a year and, and 22 games. Um, but I feel like the main one is looking at a screen where, one guy has the ball and four guys are standing around doing nothing. And while I feel that was at times maybe an oversimplification of what we were seeing, I, I also didn't feel like it was a completely inaccurate um, uh, assessment either. Um, and yeah, no, like you say that there, there, there's a lot more, you know, going on now. Um, I, 
it's yeah. You know, what were we gonna say? I, I, I was I was collecting my thoughts, but what, chime in, please. Yeah, I was just gonna say one of the things you mentioned was um, getting guys going downhill. Um, so there's a super cool variation um, on the chin set. Like, so the chin set is something that's run, um, you know, and NBA teams, you know, throughout the, throughout the league, people use uh, teams use the chin set. It's, this is the one really with the common. UCLA, the UCLA cut, where essentially the point guard kind of cuts through the paint and then emerges like kind of towards the corner, right? Exactly. Yeah, okay. that's just right. Um, yeah, and so usually it starts off by like, yeah, the point guard swings the ball around the perimeter, um, and then they cut down uh, roughly the middle of the paint. Take there's like the five, you know, or the center or whatever sets a back screen for them, um, and they uh, it's called a, a UCLA cut when you cut off a back screen like that um, towards the hoop. Um, and they look for a layup, but that rarely happens against NBA defenses. But that's how it, you know, typically goes. But um, uh, Miller has added a really cool um, variation to get into it, where instead of the point guard swinging the ball around the perimeter, they basically run full speed um, into um, the defender of, uh, uh, of, like, for example, Julius Randle of the big, the big's defender, and the big trails behind them. Um, and at the last second, when they like run into the defender, they turn around and toss the ball to the big. Um, so essentially what happens is they set a moving screen, but since they really have the ball and it's like sort of, you know, it's not really a moving screen. Um, so it's a legal, if you will, moving screen that they set on the bigs defender. So typically Julius Randall. Um, so he catches the ball running. Uh, he's already in motion um, and his man is screened off. Um, or at least he gets bumped, you know, to some degree. So that gives him, um, you know, oftentimes a free lane to get to the hoop. Um, so when you're talking about like, you know, trying to get guys going downhill, this is a really cool variation, um, that I haven't seen. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm like, you know, uh, on top of watching every NBA offense, you know, constantly and all of the variations they run. And I'm sure, you know, some other team has used something like this before, but I, I haven't seen it. It's not as common as the standard chin variation for sure. Um, and it's just worked wonders. Um, and then, of course, if it fails, you know, then you get into the re remainder of the chin set, um, which there's a bunch of other off-ball options. And then if those fail, then it naturally resolves into one of like four or five different ball screens. The pick and roll can happen on either side of the floor. Or there could be a designated hand uh, handoff, uh, a dribble handoff, excuse me. Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, I just in terms of getting guys going downhill, I think uh, Miller's done a really good job of installing some uh, some some variations yeah. uh, that have helped out Randall. It's and it's I'm, as you're saying that I'm just thinking to myself, it's like the because I did I, I spent a lot. I probably spent more time looking at clips of Randall over the first you know big part of the season because I just, you know, I, I couldn't help but be critical of him in in what was happening but in essence really i think who i was being critical of more was david fisdale without realizing it um and it, it's not like it it it's just there's a different feel to the possessions that he has and i think what you're describing now um is is the reason why they feel so different is because it's just um, there's, there's more, and simply put, there's more stuff going on that if you're just sitting home and watching the game and, and you're just kind of like taking it in I, and I'll, I'll, I mean, this is, I'll, I'll say this, this is how I do it. It's like, I'm not realizing maybe all the stuff that's going on, but as you're describing it, it makes sense because clearly there's more going on than there was early in the year. The, the question that I'm, I'm now thinking of is because this is the Knicks and, and nothing ever stays the same. Um, how much do you think these sets will become less effective? Or maybe the better way to ask it is like, how how Randall-centric are a lot of these sets in terms of amplifying someone or maybe accentuating someone, I should say, with his skill set? Because, you know, for all we know, they could move him before the trade deadline. And I, I'm I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, one thing that would, so 
a couple of things. So first of all, um, you can do basically the same variation. I call it, I call it chin toss because you, you know, the point guard turns around and tosses the ball back to the big, um, but you can run basically the same variation, um, with a, a popping big man instead of a diving big man. So, you know, with Julius Randle, you don't want him to just pull up and shoot a three with, uh, 20 seconds left on the shot clock. He um, seems to not mind doing that, but you know, that's fine. He, he doesn't mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But like with uh, Bobby Portis or Marcus Morris, you know, um, you can run the exact same set, but where the point guard basically runs into their defender and, you know, pushes them inside the three point line, um, turns around and tosses the ball back to the big. And then the big has an open three. Um, And we've seen that happen um, with Bobby Portis and Marcus Morris. Um, And that's another great quick hitter. You know, you get an open three early in the shot clock. um, Hard to beat that hard to complain about that so you can definitely run it with other guys you could also do um different stuff if you have a, a floor spacing big you could switch rj barrett with the floor spacing big okay and have rj barrett actually um i think it'd be cool to have rj be the guy who gets the toss that'd be a way to get him going downhill um so same sort of con with as with randall can we stick with Andre yeah. for a second? Because that's the guy that I really want to talk about before um, before I have to get you out of here. So right. I, 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 it's tough because I, I, I'm I'm not going to sit here and be like we have to you know the Knicks should be building their offense around RJ Barrett because you know RJ Barrett doesn't profile as a guy who's going to ever be the 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 best you know the best engine. I, I, maybe that's the best word to say. Um, on a team and and we may not even be the second best um but i don't know maybe he could be regardless um he's the closest thing they have right now really the only thing they have to like a guy who can have the ball in his hands that could like do stuff um whatever you want to define stuff as um that might be here for the long haul and i'm i'm always and again, I don't have the eye for this stuff that you do. I'm always trying to pay attention to like, what could they be doing? What are they doing to try to put him in advantageous situations? And I'm, I'm always, I think about it more from like a lineup perspective. Like, does playing him at the two where he has quicker defenders on him make his life, you know, is it making his life more, more difficult? Is it making it easier? Should he be seeing more times at the three? Like, can you, can you speak in any um, intelligent way as to how, you think all this stuff is maybe, is it helping RJ? Is it like, could they be doing more? Is it hurting him? Like, where, where do you stand on that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I don't think, uh, I'm trying to think. I haven't seen any designed actions that they frequently go back to that I thought to myself, oh, hey, that's like, you know, a set designed to maximize RJ's current skill set. Um, but he, he does at least nothing, you know, like, um, but I mean, he gets the ball in lots of pick and rolls, which you want him, you want him getting the ball in lots of pick and rolls at this point, I think. Um, yeah, so it, I don't know. Um, one thing that I, I mean, I think you're right about the lineup points. So he, at this point, is probably. Um, the person who is harmed the most by playing in the starting lineup with the uh, lack of spacing. I, I would, think I would agree every, with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Everybody else has sort of figured out um, under Miller, there's, you know, how to still get their offense, how to get good looks, that sort of thing. Um, RJ, I think would be benefited by playing in some of those second unit lineups, maybe with like Bullock and Knox and Portis you know, uh, Frank and, and him or something like that. Um, with a bunch, you know, defenders pulled, pulled out to the three point line a little bit more. I, I just, um, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to get too far off topic, but the one, the one combination, I mean, there's a few combinations that don't make perfect sense on, but like the idea of Randall and RJ Barrett together on the floor at the same time has never, and I know some of the numbers since Miller came aboard, you know, those two, they were, they were better together and some, early samples that were probably too small to really draw any conclusions from, but like, I don't know. Do you feel the same way watching them too, that, that they should be staggered Uh, more? Yeah. So, I mean, I think people know, um, or at least people who have read my stuff or heard me on here know that I was against the Randall signing from the beginning. Yes, you Um, were. (laughs) And 
the real big thing, it's not that, so like Randall is, uh, can be a decent, um, piece, I think on a pretty good team. That's not a criticism. Uh, I, I want to, I always feel the need to say this. That's not a criticism of Randall. If you put Randall in a certain situation with certain types of players around him, Randall could be as, as we've seen at times here over the last several weeks, one of the more you know devastating forces you're going to find, but that that's not what your, your original stance was based on. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I was I was pretty worried about his defense, but <laughs> that's a that's um, a separate issue that we're not going to talk about today because <laughs> I don't want to drink tonight. So yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the biggest thing is just you know um, they drafted RJ and Mitch is definitely the center of the future. He's like the sure thing, the surefire, like the the one guy on the team that I feel really confident about going forward. Can he can be a difference maker on a very good team? Um, Agreed. I feel like very confident he can be a, a high level starter on a good team. Um, uh, and who you absolutely do not want starting next to Mitch on a very good team um, is somebody who has no ability to space the floor. Um, and if you're going in on RJ, who also has you know, that uh, almost no ability to spread, yeah. uh, spread the floor, save the floor, save for some uh, somewhat decent numbers from the corner so far, but we don't even know how real those are. So yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah. And I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical with the, I mean, the I, free throw shooting. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you should, we should all be skeptical right now. It's, it's, listen, it's, it's, it's sticking out like a sore thumb on some night. So yeah. Yeah, so I don't watch a lot of NCAA basketball, but we all knew coming in that RJ was not um, a very good three-point shooter. Um, and so if you're going to build uh, around um, Mitch, which absolutely the Knicks ought to do, and then you're going to draft um, with the third pick, RJ Barrett, so you're you're committing to building around two guys who aren't shooters. Um, uh, and, I mean, I don't know... Uh, how likely it is that either of them become shooters, probably not particularly likely. Um, it's just hard to see the reason um, or the justification for going after Julius Randle. So the idea behind Julius Randle, when you go after him last year, is, hey, we're going to put him around um, our up-and-coming guys. He fits with our up-and-coming guys. And if he really does well, we'll lock him up long-term. He's still young, and then he can be a part of our young core. But if you bring him in, you know, hoping that he improves and does well, which of course you're hoping, and he does, well, whether he does or not, there's no point in re-signing him um, unless you're going to get rid of, like, Mitch or something like that, which there's no reason yeah, the we, Knicks we don't want to. We don't want to do that. Yeah, so you, you're going to end up getting to a point where you have to choose between them. Um, I mean, I guess maybe Randall could turn into a trade asset, but really, when you're thinking of um, developing guys, uh, even beyond the sort of like future fit problems, you want you want guys in positions um, that they're going to be in in the future, and you want them to improve in those positions. Um, and putting Mitch next to somebody like Julius Randle, um, that's just not where his future is. His future is next to like Laurie Markkinen or something like that. Um, yeah, you know, I got. I, I got- yeah, no, and and I, I as you're saying this, I'm like you know thinking of like the fact that like yeah, there have been a lot of times where I've gone back and like thought about stuff that I've read this year where I've been critical of the front office, like making that signing, and um, there are times where I'm like oh, I feel bad about that because you know Julius will come out and he'll look good, and it's just for the reasons you just said, it almost feels like when they're doing well offensively with like you know, multiple of those guys on the floor at the same time. It's it's almost like their success has been not because of the moves they made this offseason, but like despite them. And and I shouldn't even say the moves, but like the fact that they signed Randall to come here and play 32 um, minutes a night, which is what he's averaging. And, you know, with these other young guys, I, I don't want to keep you for, for too much longer because I know you got to get out of here. But like, so the trade deadline is coming up. Um, my understanding is that outside of Barrett and, and Mitch, um, everyone is on the table. Um, and I wrote about that today and how that is upsetting to me f- with a guy like Kevin Knox, who like, why would you trade a 20 year old when his value is so low, but we don't have to talk about that right now. Um, I know you're not a big fan of Knox and we'll see what happens there. He has not looked particularly good of late. Um, I still don't think it would make sense to trade him right now, but 
what if you could make like one I'm not asking you to name like a, a particular player or something, but like if you could make one wholesale kind of big picture change to this team in terms that that would fundamentally alter like um you know the the how like the 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 lineups that they play with would you a would you move Randall I'm assuming the answer is yes and if you moved him what type of player would you put in his place um to to replicate those minutes or do you think that they would be just better served distributing those minutes amongst some of the guys that are already here and using some of that some more of the offensive sense to feature feature you know like RJ Barrett and like you know Marcus Morris or guys like that um yeah so i mean i'm definitely i would definitely i don't know, i don't think you're going to find a trade partner for Julius Randle um, me and Jeremy Cohen spent 25 minutes a few podcasts ago talking about who might be interested in trading for him and i think we came upon like maybe two teams that okay so who are who are the teams oh I my missed that podcast. um now you're putting me on me on the spot you're asking me to remember what i said my own words come on this is not <laughs> this is clearly not fair um i think i think we talked about how charlotte just because they have historically had trouble attracting free agents um and like you know they've had even though they're playing very well this year and they're playing a really nice style of ball that I, I don't know that Julius Randle fits into. Like, I don't know, maybe they would be attracted to the the shiny object. Um I know I think that was one of them. And I know I brought up Laurie Markin and as like a pipe dream in Chicago because God, that would be lovely, but that's that's not happening. Um who was the other team? Maybe was it Sacra- Sacramento or Minnesota or maybe Phoenix? Like like a I think it's like a bad or like a semi bad Western Conference team. I think like one of those teams like that. I see. Yeah. 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 So I just I I don't see so, it either, to be to be perfectly clear. I don't see them moving him either. But I'm just like in your perfect dream world, like what like you know, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna move Julius Randle, I I think the team that's gonna want him is gonna be like in the situation that I just sort of painted. Um, I don't think any contending team is going to want him. Um, I think the sort of team that would want him would be um, a team that had a stretch five um, that they were going to build around for the future. Like Carl um, Anthony Towns, potentially. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I couldn't imagine Phoenix, I, Charlotte, because bringing in Randall and like committing to him going forward long term, um, you're committing to having to find a stretch five. And those are hard to find more fives are shooting threes but um it, that doesn't mean that doesn't but as you well know but just to point out for the, the obvious that doesn't make someone a stretch five just because you have like for instance aaron baines on your team does that doesn't mean you want julius randall like as your four that's right to throw and, that out there. and i don't think aaron baines is in the long-term plans for the no I, I, <laughs> I i mean maybe i love aaron baines i think he's a wonderful player but How yeah he's four or something or he's well, they play. He's they were a, playing. Uh, uh, what's his face at the four against the Knicks? Uh, Aiden, which was that was interesting. Um, yeah, that's a weird. That's a weird combo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but you're no, you're, but, you're look. You hit the nail on the head. It's it's a tough fit. Yeah, but I would love. I mean, yeah. If Randall was if Randall was gone, it's. Uh, I mean, we don't have a young guy that you really want like starting at the four at this point. So like. Give Kevin Knox the backup minutes at the four and let Morris play the four as the starter uh, if he doesn't get traded. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. The Knicks would be playing smaller. They'd have much better floor spacing in the starting lineup. You know, you push RJ to the three maybe and have Reggie Bullock as the two or Wayne Ellington as the two or Dotson as the two. Um, yeah, it it could be fun. Um, one thing I really want to see going forward though is. Um, as many minutes as possible, and this this is something the Knicks have just historically been um, bad with of late, um, is just putting all of their young guys on the floor together and letting them build chemistry together. We, we've seen it the last two games in blowouts, granted, um, although they, they trotted out the lineup before things got out of hand both nights. But um, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you, but yeah, I just... 
me too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. I actually missed the last two games, um, or I just saw a little bit of the Lakers game, but not not very much of it. Consider and yourself consider yourself lucky. It, it was yeah. not uh, Wait. not good. But yeah, one of, one of the most valuable things about having a young guy on your team is that you get more information than the rest of the NBA about that guy. So when it, his contract comes up, you should be in a significantly better position to determine whether you want to go forward with him. Well, one of the things that one of the pieces of information you can get is how does he fit with our other key pieces going forward? How does he fit with our other building blocks? Um, well, if you don't play them together ever, um, then you're in the same position as the rest of the NBA <laughs> with respect to that piece of information. Um, you know, we'll have just as much idea of whether or not um, uh, Mitch and RJ and Frank or whatever can be on the court together, or RJ and Mitch, you know, can be on the court together going forward as the Phoenix Suns will about DeAndre Ayton and Mitch or something. Or, well, that's not a good example. <laughs> no, but Booker, Booker and Mitch, you know, yeah. uh, you know what I'm saying. Uh, uh, so it's an incredibly valuable opportunity. And you also can figure out to, um, you know, the v- very best teams are um, in many ways greater than the sum of their parts. Uh, I mean, Look at the damn look at the damn jazz last night. I mean, I know Rudy Gobert, you know, is in contention to um like start the all I mean, he should be in contention to start the All-Star game. He probably won't, but um like he's been that good. He's he's definitely going to make it this year. Um but like that team, like you watch them, I know you didn't watch the game, but like, you know, you're familiar enough with the Jazz. Like that's a team you want to talk about greater than the sum of its parts. Like my goodness. Um and there and there's great examples out there like that and that's just not something that we've ever it's always been the opposite here in new york not to go on like a, a diatribe but yeah well and the, the the jazz are one of those teams which um get a lot of those easy regular season buckets by running a pretty complicated offense um that's designed to uh minimize the need for like really great ball handlers and it's designed in large part because they don't I mean, they ha- Donovan Mitchell has come on the scene, of course, recently, um, but they don't have that or haven't historically had that like just amazing primary initiator sort of guy. Yeah. Uh, and so they've designed the super complicated offense. Now, you don't get those same easy buckets all the time once you get into the playoffs and then their offense can sputter a little bit. Yeah, but now, I mean, look, we're putting the cart before the horse here. I, I think just to echo your point. Okay. No, like, no, it's like, just like... <laughs> You know, figure out the Nixie to figure out what they what they have. And I think part of the problem, um, you know, we could kind of end it here. They like when's the last time they made a commitment to saying this is our young core. These are the guys we're going forward with. Um, and, you know, we're going to see this thing through with these guys for the next whatever it is, three, four, ideally way more seasons. And, and, and that's obviously never happened. So, yeah. Um, yeah. nice of us to end it. <laughs> nice of us to end it on a nice depressing note. Um, hey, this is this should be like a really optimistic. I mean, things have been way more fun lately. Um, no, they have. Uh, they they the have. team's been flying better. Uh, the defense has been way better. The offense has been more fun, more interesting. A lot of cool sets. No, it, and you and your pieces brought that to life. And I think there's a lot of sour feelings right now because of how badly they got their doors blown off. But um, you know, as I mentioned today in the newsletter, it was the arguably the best team in the NBA, the Lakers, and then the next night, literally less than 24 hours, the team that has been um, the best by net rating in the league for the last two weeks, two plus weeks actually, um, and. Uh, you know, and the Knicks were missing two guys that whether they're their best players or whatever, it's like two guys that they have relied on and were kind of probably pretty out of sorts without. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll see some more good stuff. Um, you know, I don't know what we're going to see as far as trades, but um, I don't know. Let's 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 end with this. What if you could have like one wish between now and like the beginning of next season within reason, like what? Like I uh, forget about like the the play calling stuff. Like what what does Dallas Amico want to see this team do? Whether it be a front office change, a coaching thing, a player thing. Like what do you want to see? I would like. I'm going to give you two. Okay. Uh, we. Ooh, I, 
Can I give three? You can you can give as many <laughs> as you want. You're, you're the one who said you had to get out of here by by uh, seven o'clock Eastern. So I, I feel bad. I don't want to keep you too long. But you can give me as many as you want. All right, real quick. I want I want a, a four who can shoot to play next to Mitch long term. Okay. Um, that'd be that could be you know in the draft. That could be free agency. We'll see. Um, uh, I guess free agencies. It's going to be pretty uh, slim pickings on that front this year, but. Yeah, um, I don't know how many young stretch fours are hitting the market this year, unfortunately. But in the draft, look, we can get maybe in the draft. Um, there might so be. That's what, that's what, and then I would like Frank um, to be locked up on a cheap long-term deal. I think I proposed um, I, three for 25 to somebody today on Twitter as something that would be reasonable for both sides with maybe like a small guarantee on the third year. I couldn't tell if I was being too generous or I don't know. Uh, no, that's cool. I would go. I mean, I would even go longer. I, I mean, I, listen, happy. for me, I'd go three. I go four for four for 32 in a heartbeat. But that's that's me. That's right. Yeah, I would even. Yeah, I. I would not hate five, even going as much more. Five year max. Just give him the five. No, no, full, no. Book. full book. Five, five year full book. It's fine. I just, I really believe he's one of those. I still have, I have some big questions still. Um, but I, I, his, his current floor is very, very high. And I just think there's a lot of potential there um, for being the sort of guy who can contribute to winning teams without, sometimes with the ball in his hands, but oftentimes without having the ball in his hands, which is really, really valuable. Um, there's only one ball. And uh, a lot of your guys have to, find ways of creating value when they don't have it. Um, and he's one of those who can with his defense, his ball movement, and hopefully improved uh, three-point shooting. Hey, man, listen, uh, 45% from the field over the last, I looked it up last night, um, I, is it 45% over the last six games or is it more? Whatever. It's, it's coming. It's coming around. It's coming. It is. Yeah, it is. He's got it. He's he's really reliable in, at like the elbows. Um, I think uh, Spencer's been pointing that out. He's um, been automatic. He, the the little free throw line jumper, the elbow. Yeah, man. He's got to pull it back a little bit. I think um, maybe it has to do with strength. Um, maybe I. You know, I don't know. Um, some people have pointed out. Um, uh, I don't know if you know Prez from Posting and Toasting. Um, but he he seems to he he he's he's really good with uh, film, especially of things like shot mechanics and all that sort of stuff. But one of the things he's pointed out is that Frank's mechanics vary from on the three point line than they do when he's shooting at the elbows. Um, and some of it looks like it could be strength related that he just struggles to get as much power as needed, um, and so he ends up shooting the ball more in front of him rather than like above his head like he does um, from the elbows. So maybe getting a little bit more. A little stronger in the off season or something like that will help him out. I, I wouldn't mind it for the rest of this year. He just, you know, he Tony Parkered it and just like, you know, I'm gonna. It's all fifteen feet and in. Um, you know, not not long term, but like, you know, for the rest of this year, like, get, you know, get his confidence up, whatever. Um, but whatever. I'm 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 talking crazy talk. What do I know? <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's what I that's what I got there. Well, um, wait. You had a third thing. You said there were three things. Oh, that, I didn't have a third. Frank stretch for. Like, yeah, I guess I want one of the. Uh, I would like us to draft somebody who has the potential to be a primary initiator, like that sort of type. Um, so I don't. I don't have any preferences over the the number of uh, prospects next year, which apparently are kind of weak. But they're they're um, quite weak. I was reading about it today. Um, so then, in that case, it would move Frank either to a either off the ball to start maybe if he was a starter or maybe backup point guard, like that kind of a deal. Yeah. I mean, I think outside of like real outlier developments, Frank's future is off the ball. I completely um, agree with you. He just, I, you know, yeah. Um, I mean, there, there, I, there are, I think there are outcomes where he ends up being an on the ball player. That's if he starts. It, um, he could be a he could back up point guard for a, like long term. The roster construction something. would be just 
it's tough. I I know it. It, it would be a tough um, imagination to 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 see like that type of roster construction that that would make a winning situation with with that being the case. Uh, uh last thing because I, I I have to ask in lieu of getting a primary initiator in the draft, because I, I don't think that there is going to be one that is going to be worthy of being like, this is our guy for the next 10 years. Um, would you give Fred Van Fleet the whole bag, like multiple bags and like bags oh. on top of bags? <laughs> uh, I, so to be honest, I think I'd have to watch more film of him. Okay. That's uh, fair. Yeah, that'll be I, your so, homework I mean, for next time. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> he looked great in that championship run, um, but I haven't watched enough Raptor film with him this year. Uh, looked at his numbers to see, you know, what they've looked like. I know they've been good, but I haven't taken a real deep dive where I can be like confident and say yeah. Um, but I, I, I would lean no. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm like desperate for to find the guy. I'm I'm at that point, and I'm and he's young, and he's he shoots it so well, and uh, I don't know, it's something I'm gonna I'll, I'll do homework too, and I'll I'll we'll we'll revisit this topic before uh, free agency hits. How about that? Yeah, that would be fun. That'd yeah, be a lot of fun. That would be all right. You you got to get out of here. You've already extended past the time which I told you I was going to get you out of here. But I promised you that I was going to get you out of here by. Um, Listen, if you are listening to this and you have not gone to posting and toasting and read um, and that's not only reading because you there's a lot of film in there, too. There's a ton of film. Um, Dallas's pieces like stop what you're doing. Really, actually go back in time and don't listen to this podcast. Get in a time machine. Go back, read the pieces, then come back and listen to this podcast. That's really what you should do. Um, they're so good. Um at home listening or wherever you are you can put your shoes back on now we're exiting the dallas palace of analysis um dallas anything else you want to say before i get you out of here uh no i got nothing thanks so much for (laughs) for having me on you have so much you have so much how could you say that (laughs) (laughs) um all right uh everybody at home thank you for for giving a listen this was fun um, we'll be back with you with uh, our usual uh, uh, Sunday spot, which will come to you on Monday with uh, Jeremy Cohen. Until then, enjoy your weekend and uh, yeah, giddy up. Stay safe. Bye.